0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: What's up, everybody? Happy Monday! It's a uh, it's been a wild few days since you last heard from us. There was no Friday episode. I apologize if you read that Moses rant piece that I dropped earlier um, yesterday and Saturday. So two days ago, you'll understand why there was no Friday episode because I was knee deep in film. So I apologize profusely. However, I am joined by Mr. Greg Manakis. Have I got that right, Greg? Greg Manakis.
0: You got it right, man. You haven't messed it up in a few episodes. so I I feel like like it's imprinted in your brain, but I'm happy to be here, man. I'm happy to be here. That Moses Brown article is dope, man. We were just talking about it off air. Uh, Very well researched and... uh, I don't think anyone has ever covered Moses Brown to the level that you just did. So I think you actually have set the record. The world record for covering Moses Brown is Adam Taylor.
1: I hope so. And that's not a world <laughs> record that um, you know I intend to keep forever. I'm hoping that somebody has to dive deeper into him. So uh, I appreciate the love, though. Everybody that was showing me love online, I appreciate that, too. If you weren't showing me love, I still appreciate you taking the time to read it and even disagree with those pieces. However, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about a guy named Ime Udoka, who is now unofficially, still unofficially, which is the shocking part about all of this. At the time of recording, he is still not officially named as the Celtics head coach. Mm. So it's the unofficial official head coach. How do you feel about the hiring break? Where was you when you first heard about it? And I know that you kind of had some inside scoops and whatnot. How would you feel about
0: the uh, the whole hiring process? Well, I remember when, you know, when Stevens first um, became Pobo, everyone was like, hmm, I wonder who the coach is going to be. And Udok is a name that popped up, but I honestly hadn't really heard anything about him. Like I knew his name had been, uh, you know, kind of rumored for open uh, vacancies around the league for the past five years or so. Um, but I didn't really know anything about him. And what's interesting is as I've been trying to find more re, you know research on him and find more information on him there's not a lot written about him which is which has been um you know kind of eye popping to me because someone that has such a great reputation around the league you would think that there've been like many many articles or pieces written about him and I haven't really seen too much but I do like a lot about what I have heard and what I've been able to find um, the biggest thing that stood out to me, obviously, I'm sure people have heard about this by now is that, you know, he was the assistant coach for Team USA and he coached Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker, and you know, no longer with the Celtics. And they all kind of signed off on Udoka as as the head coach. So that was something that we have discussed on this pod before is that, you know, the Jays need to be consulted on whoever we hire. So the fact that, you know, they seem to give their blessing on Udoka speaks volumes to, you know, where the franchise is going and how much say they're going to have in it. Uh, what, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like, I remember 18 months ago, his name was everywhere. Every coaching availability, Udoka's name was there. Mm-hmm. And he never got any of those jobs. And I know that one knock that people have had on guys like Udoka, on guys like Sam Cassell, is if you haven't been given a head coaching job when you've been an assistant for five, six, seven years, then maybe you're just not viewed that way around Mm -hmm. the league. Uh, I disagree with that. I think that a big part of the NBA recently has been retreaded, retreads. Like, same coaches, just different environments, seeing whether or not they can find some magic and take a team over the top. We've seen it, we've got... And you're still still going to see that happen. DeAntoni's a retread wherever he goes. Like, teams are just hoping he can get back to the days of when he was the Phoenix Suns coach and not realizing that you need Steve Nash or someone like Chris Paul to really reap the benefits of that system. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my first kind of like pushbacks there. And then for me, it's like, dude, it doesn't shock me that odoka has got this position because he's from that Greg coach in Popovich tree. And mm-hmm. to me, like when everyone was talking about someone like Chaunce Billups, I was like, he, he isn't experienced enough, in my opinion, as an assistant coach to, to really warrant that step up so soon, especially when you've got guys like Cassell, like Udoka, like um, female coaches like Lawson or Becky Hammond that have got a body of work as an assistant or as a head coach in college that really had that bit more um, experience to lean back on. So I think Udoka, Udoka from that perspective, uh, was probably one of the best options, especially when you look at the type of players he's coached and played with in his career as well.
0: Yeah. And what have you heard about like his style of coaching from, from what I've read so far, it really seems like he's a defensive minded coach um, who puts a lot of stock into developing relationships with players, but he's like one of those guys, you know, when you have a you know, quote unquote players coach, um, it's someone who might go easy on the players, but with Udoka, it seems like he just has like a, gen- a genuine charisma that people buy into, and he's a great communicator. From what I've heard, this is all second, third hand knowledge, right? We're not going to know until we finally hear from the guy and see how how he uh, interacts with the players. But it's, it seems like everyone just speaks so highly of his ability to form those relationships with people. I was reading one article, I forget where I read it. I apologize for whoever wrote the article. Um, where it's talking about his ability to um, recruit uh, players, right? Where he had this like long plane trip with LaMarcus Aldridge when, uh, before Aldridge came to the Spurs and like literally went on the plane with Aldridge and sold him on coming to the Spurs before he did. So that was really cool. Um, and then also just the Popovich thing is, is, is huge, right? Because you, you don't want somebody... That isn't, I mean, Stevens, right? Stevens himself is someone that kind of um, espouses Popovich's philosophies on the game. So it would, you would imagine that Stevens would look for someone on the same line of thinking, but maybe it's just a nice, fresh um, breath of air that can come in and communicate better and reach the players on a level that, for whatever reason, Brad wasn't able to the last couple of years. Um, so what what have you seen in terms of, like, his actual coaching philosophy that you think will kind of vibe with what the Celtics have roster-wise?
1: Yeah, so it's the same as you. Like, um, you know, a high-level communicator, very defensively minded, which, again, kind of bleeds into that Stevens mentality. I know mm-hmm. we didn't see it for the last, like, 18 months, but if we remember the early Stevens years, every bit of success was built off that defensive identity. Yeah. So I think that's going to be a word that we hear a lot in the next few months is identity. Um, I think that one of the key points that I read, and again, I'm the same as you, I cannot remember for the life of me where I read this, but it was that Udoka has a way of holding you accountable and calling you out, but doing it in a way that doesn't feel like he's singling you out or victimizing you. So mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot more accountability on this roster. Guys aren't going to get away with taking early um, on uncont- um, contested jumpers when the extra pass would have opened you up for a drive or a pull-up. I think we're going to see a bit more cohesion from the bench to like from the coach's perspective to what's happening on the floor. And the most important thing for me is this guy has legitimate NBA experience as a coach and as a player. Mm-hmm. He's not coming in from college and having to learn the nuances of time management in the NBA or, uh, when to make the right calls, sit guys, work, workout minutes distribution. He's done all that. He's had that done to him. He's coming in as a former player with tons of NBA experience as an assistant as well. And I think that holds so much value to guys like Jalen and Jason, where they they can say, if Odoka says, look, I know it's tough. I know you guys are tired. He's not speaking from a, like a, a sympathy part of himself. He's speaking from experience. Like, yo, I've been this tired before. I know it's tough. Like, I really do understand. But you need to go out there and you need to play. And I think that that's going to be the relatability factor that maybe Stevens just didn't have, especially towards the end of his tenure where that voice was getting a little bit stale.
0: And um, I just looked into my notes here. The article that I was referencing was actually written by Tom Westerholm. So shout out to Tom Westerholm. I apologize for not referencing you earlier. Um, but yeah, when you talked about identity um, in that Westerholm piece, um, he, he talked about how U- Udoka is you know, a tough-minded individual and that there were even anecdotes of him. I, I think it was overseas, you know, literally throwing down in a fight. Uh, maybe I think it was made for the Nigerian national team or something like that. Um, so that that's big, right? Is that we... Celtics fans have been clamoring for toughness and we just haven't seen it over the last couple of years. That's why we brought in Tristan Thompson, you know, when Bam Adebayo just ate Daniel Tice's lunch and ate everybody's lunch in the Eastern Conference finals. We said, we need to be tougher. Tristan Thompson was, was the answer, but maybe it was something that needed to come from the coach himself. So if Udoka is someone that you know, espouses a a a tough-minded and you know nitty-gritty vibe on the sideline. Maybe that can trickle down throughout the roster. Cause it's not like the Celtics have, you know, the, the toughest guys in the league, but they're also not soft. You know, I didn't like how everybody was kind of characterizing this roster as soft. I just think that they, for whatever reason, didn't didn't have the spark in them this year to to fight back. Like even Marcus Smart didn't necessarily play with the same snarl that he that he's done in years past. You would see it from time to time, and maybe it was covid, maybe it was all the travel and the weariness of of the bubble and leading over, but it was it, it just wasn't there this year. So, if Udoka can can really establish that he wants this squad to just lean into toughness and let the if Grant Williams is still on the roster, let him be a bully on the court even though he's a nice guy, he's a big dude. Semi Ogile, even though he might not be on the roster. A big dude who can be tough. And I, I just think that that's something the Celtics need to lean into a bit more. And then it, it's Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You know, how much, how much toughness can they show? I think they show it through their play and their ability to, you know, fight through adverse moments. But we, I, I want to see a little bit more of them actually being, uh, you know, remember Jalen Brown early in his career? He was he was kind of like getting in people's face and just playing super physical and you know you know not being afraid to take contact and for whatever reason we didn't really see it as much this year so those two guys I want to see be tougher and I hope Udoka can can kind of uh, inspire that and
1: in. yeah for me like, I completely agree it's having guys be willing to get under people's skin it's being willing to come down from a rebound with your elbows flared out. Knowing mm-hmm. that somebody might catch one of these elbows, we're not asking guys to go out there starting fights. We're not asking for guys to be chewing each other out on the floor. Uh, you know, the occasional stare down after a dunk. You know, if you if you dunk on someone, let them know. I know it's a technical these days because the league's gone a bit soft like that. But at the same time, sometimes that technical is enough to fire a team up to really make you like get everybody fight, get the crowd into the game. Now the crowds are back get the, the bench fired up. And you need that You need that mentality of, hey, if we can't win just by skill, then we're going to make sure you leave bro- battered and bruised. And that was a calling card of like the Amir Johnson, Marcus Morris type mm-hmm. guys that are yeah. on the Celtics recently, that no matter what happens, we're going to make sure you feel our presence. And we're not the biggest or the strongest, but we're going to be the scrappiest. And if we can get back to that, and then you can start adding pieces in with some legitimate size and legitimate strength as you go along. Well, now we're cooking with gas. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a team that's skilled that is also willing to, to get, get the dirty, the dark arts. You're going to be fighting in the dark arts because mm-hmm. if you look at some of these losses this year, you lose to Detroit, one of the more physical teams in the league. Yeah, yep. They're not better than Boston, but they were more physical. They bullied their way to victory. Um, you saw it against... um, I'll, There's another team I remember. I had it on my notes and now I've closed my notes down. Uh, we'll just stick with Detroit for right now. But you know, physical teams that really pull oh people. And, Isaiah um,
0: Stewart. Isaiah yeah. Stewart just killed us.
1: <laughs> Throwback. No,
0: <laughs> Nobody
1: Moses wanted Brandt. to mess with him. Moses Brandt, not physical at all, but tall and yeah. pulled down 20 rebounds. It's the same thing. Um, Atoru done it when they played the Clippers. You saw Atoru get a little bit of um whatever mm-hmm. he wanted down low. And that to me is more. Um, and allowing them to do it, and not wanting to upset guys, and this is part of where the Brad Stevens is coaching a soft team narrative came into it, mm-hmm. because of in previous years Brad would have been telling guys, you know, come down hard on these people, set tougher screens, make sure when you see all that your your elbows are into these guys, little things like that. You can you can expect Udoka to to Doka to bring that back, but the question of it is that alone isn't going to win you a championship. It might move you up a seeding spot or two. But where we are now from a roster construction point, realistically, the Celtics will be looking at what? Third seed? With the current roster, when then you've got Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee, you can say, right, Boston can bang with Milwaukee. They can bang with Philly. Mm-hmm. Now you, but you need that mentality to have any opportunity against a team like Brooklyn. And you saw that from Milwaukee. They had to get physical to, and obviously have a couple of injuries break their way from Brooklyn to yeah. be able to get past
0: them. Yeah, well, I mean, the playoffs, they've shown you that a- anything is possible in the playoffs, right? One injury, two injuries, and any team can make it to the finals. Now, the team, when you're looking at next year and who the Celtics really have to worry about contending with, it's really just Brooklyn, right? I think, as currently constructed, if we bring back, you know, the, the if we have... On day one, the roster that we currently have, I'm not scared of anybody in the East except for Brooklyn. That's the only team I don't think we can necessarily beat. Philly. Who knows what the heck's going to happen with them because of the Ben Simmons situation? Um, you know, maybe that might open doors for other teams to kind of steal Ben Simmons, and it could really alter you know the the, the landscape around the Eastern Conference and around the league. Um, I've seen like the CJ McCollum rumors out there. C- ben for CJ. I've even seen CJ rumored to the Celtics. So who knows what's going to happen. But I do think that the Celtics, you know, when they traded Kemba Walker for Al Horford and Moses Brown, they were they were they were very clearly saying we need to be bigger, we need to be more physical, we can't rely on Kemba Walker and his and his bulky knee. You know, even though what's interesting though is that the Hawks are doing so much of what they're doing, and they have Trey Young, who is you know becoming very quickly becoming a superstar. But you also see that smaller guards can be successful in today's NBA as long as they're surrounded by bigger more physical presences like the Clint Capellas and John Collins is the world. So, you know, although we moved on from Kemba, I I do think that if we were to bring back somebody in the same mold of him um, as in a smaller guard, that that it's not impossible to be successful. Um, Yeah. But I, I, I just think that with Udoka, one, one final point I wanted to kind of hit on him is the fact that Udoka is a black coach. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on the importance of bringing in a black coach after all the stuff that Danny Ainge had said and seemingly being completely out of touch with uh, the realities of how his players viewed racism in Boston and um, you know the organization being primarily the, the faces of the franchise being primarily white and Brad Stevens, um, Danny Ainge and the ownership group. Uh, So do you put much stock into the narrative that the Celtics wanted and needed to hire a black coach?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that first of all, like Danny Angie's comments were ridiculous, especially after that Marcus smart players tribune article, like 12 mm. months earlier. So um, I think that that in itself showed like a tone deaf approach to um, social issues around Boston and with, sure. with everything that Kyrie had highlighted. Um, I think that, there was a part of the front office that would have most likely preferred it to be a black coach or a person of color. Um, but when you're talking about um, how important it was to the actual roster and how important it was to the the external view of the team, I think it was incredibly important. I think that Jalen Brown had made it very clear that um, he would prefer to be playing under a black coach. I think that if you look at the disparity in the league between white coaches and black coaches, they're very underrepresented. So adding some representation there helps, not only just from an optic standpoint, but it actually helps add parity, and you know to showcase that these coaches are there are a surplus amount of highly talented black coaches that aren't getting their shot. Um, and then I think if you look at the way that the Celtics have gone about this, they've made sure that they've hired a coach that is one, most clearly the most qualified for the job. Mm-hmm. um is too very relatable to the players from a pr- playing past kind of standpoint of being a, being a relatable there but he also knows what it's like to be a black player in america a black man in america and when you're talking about social justice issues and you've got guys that are so at the forefront of this stuff like like jalen brown who's like um very big on his activism and very big on being a, a leading voice in that pushback from the NBA in that times. Having somebody like Brad Stevens was always very accommodating and empowering to them. Mm-hmm. But having someone like Udoka just puts you that extra mile because now Udoka can help Jalen Brown fight that fight and be kind of shoulder to shoulder with him in those stances. So I think there was a lot of importance there, but I just don't agree that it was because it was a PR stunt I think that from an actual organization standpoint in becoming more progressive and adding diversity to the to the coaching staff I think we're going to see diversity added to the front office soon I think that was inc- like ridiculously important but I just don't see it as a, a PR narrative that I've seen some people kind of postulate throughout social media
0: Yeah, I, I don't I don't think so either. I think it was just a necessary change and um, you know, a reality that that needed to be addressed. And um Celtics fans, you know, um if you if you look around, if you go to T D Garden, you look around the stadium, it is a majority of white fans, you know. Um, not to say that there aren't black fans and fans of color, but um it it it's important. And Jalen Brown, as you said, has 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 said that he wants a black coach and he's on the front lines. He's a leader, you know, Brad Stevens in today's terminology would be considered an ally of the movement, but you, you know, I, I think for Jalen and Jason and Marcus and what they're trying to do and what they want to do in the city of Boston and around the country, I think they really want to enact change in, in how, um, they're viewed and how people, you know, just talk about race and aren't afraid to talk about it. And, you know, if if hiring a black coach was important to them, then that it doesn't matter, you know, that it's just a black coach. Right. As you said, he is a qualified individual. Like, this isn't any affirmative action nonsense. Right. This is just something that needed to be done. And I, I think it's super important. And I'm glad that we did. And I don't know if you want to talk about assistant coaches now, Adam, but um, I think two of the assistant coaches that are being rumored to potentially be with Udoka as his leading man are also black coaches.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I just want to agree with you again. Like This definitely wasn't an affirmative action move. If you look at every coach that was in the running for this, first of all, and we will move on to assistant coaches then, but if you look at every coach that was in the running for this, they were predominantly black coaches because they are the most qualified and most talented people available in that coaching pool right now. That isn't affirmative action. That is just fact. You mm-hmm. know, outside of Becky Hammond, you were talking, the names being thrown around that I was seeing was uh, Jerry Stackhouse, was a um, Chauncey Billets, Sam Cassell, emilio Udoka, Cara Lawson. That's mm-hmm. not because, hey, we need to have more black coaches in the league. That's yo these are the best coaches that are available right now we're not looking at we're looking at credentials and i think that's where the change needed to be anyway where you would be like they were being you're no longer just giving white coaches the opportunity you're like hey these you've got five or six coaches of color that are more than qualified that deserve their opportunity to have a lead an nba franchise to so I think that was important, and then being able to add more diversity in your assistant coaching ranks, especially after losing Jerome Allen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think that's going to be just as important. So, what are the names that you've got? I know Darvin Ham's been thrown around.
0: Yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm hearing. You know, um, I was hearing things uh, right before Rudoka was named unofficially the head coach. Then that was the name that I heard was was going to be announced, and uh, Darvin Ham and Sam Cassell are the, are the two names that I'm hearing. Are are the front runners, you know? I think there are plenty of reports out there that have talked about them as that they were front runners for the head coaching position as well. But um, I think if you bring in Darvin Ham or Sam Cassell, but I think Sam Cassell recently was rumored to um, be the front runner for the Wizards head coaching vacancy, so he might be off the table, which would leave Darvin Ham as as the main guy um, that Udoka would want to be by his side. Um, So if you want, we can talk about Darvin Ham because I, you know, for me, Darvin Ham is the guy that shattered the glass 20 years ago or whatever it was. He had that one crazy dunk where he broke the backboard. Um, But I, you know, I've read a few articles on him um, and what, you know, who he is as, as a coach. And he seems to be very in line with the way that Udoka sees the game. Very tough minded uh, defensive first individual um, who also apparently, according to an article I read on a a Bucks blog, was very very important and instrumental in the development of Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton in their skill development. You know, so if if we're looking for people to, um, you know, come in and overtake a younger roster that need to, you know, develop skills that will help them reach their fullest potential, Darvin Ham seems to be a guy that you would want. Um, being right next to Ime Iduka, U-, U Udoka. I'm going to mess that up. Just like, I can't say Sudoku. Is that how you say it? So Sudoku? I can't say that either. But I'm going to mess up his name many times. I apologize, Ime. Uh But I think Darvin Ham definitely seems to be the type of guy that Udoka would want next to him based on what I've read.
1: Yeah, and I'm completely down for that. If you've got um, the body of work to show player development and if you, you know, you're an assistant coach on a team, that right now he's fighting for a final spot. You've obviously built that um, that resume over time. and You're going to come into the team and add ridiculous amounts of value, again, help build an identity, help reset the culture of the team. I'm completely down for it. Now, the one question I have about Udoka, because we haven't seen it yet, is how is he going to be as a defensive-minded coach coaching offense? How creative is his mm-hmm. offensive calls going to be? So, Casal, to me, would make a lot more sense just due to his playing career and obviously being a bit more offensively-minded than what Darwin Ham was. And that would be my only concern, bringing a a defensive-minded head coach and pairing him up with a defensive-minded assistant coach. That works perfectly well, but I feel like you're building for a regular season Titan that is going to struggle once it goes to the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would be my only concern in bringing Ham in, just simply because where's the offensive mind going to be then? You're going to have to have a second. One of your other assistant coaches is going to need to be a very big uh, offensive specialist who's very well-known and very well-respected around the league in order to offset all of that defensive mentality.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know if you were able to catch the Phoenix Suns Clippers game last night, but that was a rock fight. You know, in the defense, especially in the, Eastern, in, the, in the conference finals, the refs seem to be letting people play more physically. And there's so much scouting that goes in where the strengths of teams are taken away. So if you can't get shots and you can't get good offense in these games, um, you know, you definitely need a coach that can game plan for that. But I think what's even more important than that, Adam, is the talent that you have on the court and the importance of having guys that can get their own shot. You know, I think that's why the Celtics were always built for the playoffs more than the regular season over the last couple of years is because of what Jason Tatum was able to do in creating his own shot and Jalen Brown and his development and his um, you know, expertise in the mid-range. I think that those two guys, if as long as we have the Jays, the offense, when it really matters, I think is going to come down to them being able to create their own shot and crunch time. But you're right, throughout a seven-game series, you are going to need uh, an offensive-minded coach who's going to be able to game plan buckets so that we can get to crunch time in the first place. So Sam Cassell, I, th- I think, definitely meets that meets that criteria. But, uh, you know, if he's going to Washington, Darvin Ham seems to be the guy. So, you know, that's the name that I'm expecting to be announced as the assistant coach. And if it's not Darvin Ham, um, I, I don't really know who else out there, you know, might be in the running. I haven't really heard too many other names besides that. Have you heard anybody else? Or is it really just Cassell and Ham?
1: I've seen Cassell and Ham, the one other name... I've seen um, again hypothesized nothing um, serious is like um, Brett Brown or um, Mm. I saw uh, coming back to Boston or maybe a um, Steve Clifford but I don't think that they fit with what the Celtics are trying to do in getting a young up-and-coming coach pairing him with another young experienced up-and-coming assistant coach that Mm -hmm. makes more sense to me. Um, you're basically trying to go for a culture reset right now and like a a team reset. So bringing in a a guy like Brett Brown or um, Steve Clifford, while that looks good on paper because of their head coaching experience, I think it actually um, nullifies some of the reset that you're actually trying to like um, action right now. So I I wouldn't mind then going for a high-level coach from college, a high-level assistant that wants to be an assistant in the NBA. Uh, But for me, like Darvin Ham, if you get Darvin Ham, that's fine. There's there's more than two coaches on an NBA bench. You Mm -hmm. can have a defensive-minded head coach, a defensive-minded assistant coach, as long as you have one guy that's capable of really drawing up some motion offense so it doesn't devolve into ISO in a game five with two points down, you know, and you need a play drawn up. Like not, And for all we know, Udoka could be that guy. We just haven't seen it. And mm-hmm. every every report so far only speaks of his defensive mentality. So he could still be that guy. So I'm by no means saying that he's not that guy. But they definitely need um, some form of offensive specialist there as well. And Jay Laranega, I don't think he's going to be there. Um, you've lost Jerome Allen, so like again, it's going to be a complete reset of the bench, and I'm looking forward to that. I, I like the idea of fresh new ideas, fresh new voices, mm-hmm. and a reinvigorated superstar duo.
0: Yeah, and I mean Brad Stevens is right there, you know, in the front office, so he's he's the master of the ATO. So I'm, I'm sure he's going to share his playbook, and uh, who knows, maybe they'll have some um, some line of communication during the game, so Brad they can tap into Brad's genius on the ATO. But it, I think it's good to have Brad there still, still giving giving his opinion on how things could be done on the bench. But from his comments regarding Danny Ainge and why Danny Ainge was such a good boss and at St- Stevens' time as a coach, it was that Danny Ainge allowed Stevens to be who he was, and they disagreed over things, but there was always that line of communication and respect. So I I, I would imagine that's how Stevens is going to run things as well.
1: Yeah, I think that Stevens understands that his job now is to put the best roster possible together. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about what tools you give the coach. If we want to give Stevens one out for this last season was that he was given a lot of bad tools. He was given outdated, hand-operated tools in a year Mm -hmm. that's using computer-aided machinery. It just wasn't a good fit. And I think Stevens knows what it's like to be hamstrung by poor roster construction. And hopefully he's going to give doker everything he needs this year to have the best opportunity of success possible. And I'd, I genuinely think we're going to see a big roster shake-up as well. Obviously, I don't think Jalen or Jason goes anywhere, but I think guys like Rob Williams, guys like Christian uh, Thompson, Moses Brown could be on the move again. Marcus Smart's contract might make Brad Stevens a little bit uneasy. Um, players like this could be on the move, and I, I wouldn't put anything past Stevens at the moment. All I will say is he's made two moves so far, one is a trade, one is a hire, and he's hit both of them at the ballpark.
0: Definitely, definitely. A-plus thus far. Um, if I had to guess, if, I, if we're making predictions here, I think Marcus Smart stays. I, I truly believe that Stevens loves Marcus Smart. Um, you know, he, he he can definitely be a headache, and he, he's not the greatest decision maker when it comes to, um, you know, big, big-time shots in the clutch, but... I think Marcus Smart is one of those um, organization organizational tone setters. And I think he really is important to what the Celtics want to accomplish as an organization. And, you know, being a defensive-minded coach like Udoka is, Smart seems like the guy that he would want to be, you know, at the head of the snake um, putting pressure on the ball. I know Marcus kind of got mixed reviews on his defense this year. But I, I always thought Marcus, um, you know, there are certain guys that he struggles to guard. But just overall, in terms of you know being a tone setter on defense, he is one of the best tone setters in the league. So if I had to guess, I think Marcus stays. And I think one of the big men is definitely going to be on the move. And the guy that's got the most trade value is Robert Williams. So you know if I had to predict anything, I'd say Rob Williams would be the guy, just in terms of being able to get something back. I don't want to see Rob go. And I think Rob can make a big difference if he stays on the roster. But, you know, he has probably the most value and most upside that teams would see around the league. So he, he just makes the most sense to me.
1: So for me, with Marcus Smart, my outlook on the entire, the entire situation right now is like, if Marcus Smart tells Brad Stevens, like, hey, I don't want to sign no extension. I want to wait until the offseason and see where my is at and see what offer's come in." Brad Stevens might be like, well, that's fine, but I'm going to have to move you now, right? Mm-hmm. The last thing Stevens wants to do is continue... What Danny Ainge was becoming kind of synonymous for over the last few years and losing a key player for nothing. For sure. And I, I think that that has to weigh heavy on Stevens. In, hey, Marcus Smart took, you know, he hit free agency last time expecting to get a big offer. It didn't really happen. So he was kind of forced into a team friendly ish deal on a, mm-hmm. a team friendly ish contract. This is realistically Smart's last opportunity to get a big payday. And I'm not ever assuming he's going to be a max guy, but if, if, he's expecting to go out there and get 18 to 20 million or 16 to 20 million in that range. And Brad Stevens is valuing him in the 12 to 15 million. Then while well, now you've got a disconnect and do you really want to risk losing him or do you want to move him and bring back some long-term value that's, cost con- that's under contract and maybe cost control too? <sighs>
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I think that Stevens' um, great relationship with Marcus will only help in that scenario where they're going to communicate openly and honestly about it. Um, it seems like those two really respect each other. So I think Brad, if he trades Marcus, it's not going to be you know, stabbing Marcus in the back. It's going to be a conversation that they have about what's best um, for the team and for Marcus. And if Marcus, as you said, says, I want to play out the season – that gives Stevens an out, really, where he can say, okay, Marcus, I love you, but if that, if that's the reality of the situation, I have to be realistic with what's going on with this team, and I'm going to have to move you because of that. Let's start looking for a trade for you. Yeah, and
1: I think that's going to be the exact scenario that would happen because I do think there's going to be a difference between and Andrew's in the front office and now Stevens is there. I think there's going to be a lot more dialogue, a lot more mm-hmm. back and forth, and um, there's that respect factor there. You know? like Stevens and Smart have been to war together. So yep. they're going to be a lot more, um, a lot more honest and open with each other than what maybe smart would have been with Danier, Danny Definitely. H. And I think that that's going to allow for constructive discussions where Stevens could be like, Hey, I'm going to value you at this. Mm-hmm. This is going to be our opening offer. So if you're looking at a number that's a lot higher than that, then you need to be honest with me now, because you might not be here at next season, which means mm-hmm. we need to start. Look. And I think smarts, affinity towards the Celtics and towards Boston as well, would mean that Smart would understand that and possibly be honest and be like, hey, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to be here most likely. So let's make a trade happen. And, And then you go from there. Whether or not that actually happens or comes to fruition is different. But I do think that that's something that I've personally come to terms with, most likely around the trade deadline, if those discussions do turn out that Smart wants to test that free agency. And no one can blame him for that.
0: Yeah, definitely not. And I, so I, I would imagine Marcus, I would I would feel comfortable if Marcus came back at like four years, 15 million, something like that. My question to you is if you had to choose between giving somebody four years, uh, 15 million a year, are you choosing Marcus Smart or Robert Williams? Because I feel like they're both going to be roughly around that 15 million uh, price tag.
1: I choose Marcus Smart because Marcus Smart's proved that he can stay healthy when it matters. Uh, Marcus Smart means more to the team than what Robert Williams does. Robert Williams has a higher ceiling and Definitely. has a, ha, also has a higher impact towards, um, you know, like galvanizing a team when you're down. Bringing Robert Williams in makes a bigger swing mm-hmm. because of the um, the high intensity plays he makes, like his alley oops and stuff. But you cannot bank on Robert Williams being available for the entirety of a playoff run. You don't know whether he starts game one. Will he still be healthy in game six, game seven? Are we going to mm-hmm. have to manage his minutes? You know what you're getting with Marcus Smart. So for Watts and all that availability, that consistency from him, that makes him more valuable to me than Robert Williams. When we're talking about contract discussions.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you a hundred percent. How much should you pay Rob? Um, I would probably go up to 12. I feel like 12 would be my max for him. Um, Fifteen, it it just feels like a little bit of a reach. I don't think that he's necessarily someone that can get that on the open market because of his injury history. So if I'm trying to like make the deal that is fair to the player, um, but also keeps in mind, um, you know, cap realities, uh, I I think I'd I'd go four years, twelve million, and if he wanted more money, I'd go shorter, shorter deal, like two years, thirty six or something like that.
1: So the one I floated around is two for 20 with a player option on the second year. Or, or three-year deal, three for 30, but there's a there's a team option on the third year, sorry, or a player option, whichever way you want to swing it. And that gives Rob Williams two years to prove that he can stay healthy and still earn a big contract. You mm. know? So we're going to pay you. You're going to get some real money. You're going to get $10 million a year for the next two years, fully guaranteed, at which point we're going to see how healthy you are. And I'd probably say it should be a team option because you need an out yeah. If you, Rub, like I said this the other day, Rob Williams has missed 100 games in his first three years in the league. That's a lot of games to miss in your first three years in the league. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's got those lingering knee issues that are probably never going to go away. We've had the hip issues, the back issues, the, obviously, the toe issues are different. But if you, if you cannot rely on him to play at least 80% of your games, any more than $10 million a year is an overpay, or it'll start to look like an overpay. And $10 million a year is a super tradable contract anyway. So that would be where I kind of drew the line. 10 yeah, I, I
0: think a two plus one at ten million a year, absolutely sign me up. That's that's perfect to me. Um, you know, kinda in the mold of Steph Curry's original deal with the Warriors, which is why they were able to put together the team that they were able to put together because he was on such a cheap contract due to his glass ankles at the beginning of his career. Um, you know, if Robert Williams, if, if he can prove his health over a short deal, a two plus one at ten million. Um, I think that's the best case scenario for everybody. You know, I, I think that's uh, something that you should probably use your connects at Celtics blog and call in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying, dude. Like, you you prove your health, your payday is still real close. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're still pretty much, what, almost doubling your earnings right now from now to the contract. So from your rookie deal till now, you'll be doubling your earnings. So you'll be on 10 million a year. And then if you stay healthy for two years, now we can start looking at those 18 14 15 16 17 million dollar a year deals because Mm -hmm. now we feel a lot more comfortable about your ability to stay healthy and that's when you can really start making some money and i think that's going to be what it is maybe it's incentivized by a pay-per-play deal maybe you incentivize it that way you know so it's eight million dollars with two million dollars of incentives Mm -hmm. playing x amount of games will trigger a million dollars being a you know um just little incentivizations like that to kind of make Rob Williams take care of his body better. Not saying he doesn't take care of his body, but if that's a concern, then you offer less guaranteed and more on the incentivized side.
0: I mean, is there anything else you wanted to hit on, man? We're at the almost at the 40-minute mark. I know this is right in the sweet spot.
1: Yeah, this is my sweet spot. I think that everybody's <laughs> on their, uh, their commutes listening to this usually. So I like to keep it around here. So I think we should let these people carry on with their Monday. I don't know what the weather's like in Boston right now. It's been warm here, so we usually share weather systems quite closely. So hopefully it's been warm for everybody out there. Um, there's no basketball I'm for Boston at the moment, so I hope you're enjoying the playoffs, if you're watching the playoffs. And that's about it, quick man. You got anything you want to say to these lovely people?
0: Um, Let's see, man. I mean, I'm going to be going – so I live in Austin, Texas, as I'm sure y'all may remember from previous pods, um, but I spend my summers in Boston. Um, so, I'm actually going to be making a trip up to Boston starting on Tuesday. I'll be in Boston with my family in Dorchester um, starting on uh, Friday. So, I'll be in the city. Um, if anybody's around, I'll be going. The, there's a three game series at Fenway Park. The Red Sox are playing Philly. So, my brother in law is the VP of uh, PR for the Red Sox. His name's Kevin Gregg. So, pretty much, I can get tickets whenever I want, which is a. Uh, pretty nice. So I'll, I'll probably be at Fenway for all three of those games. So if anybody that's listening is going to be at Fenway Park for that Philly series, uh, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or whatever. If you want to come say hi or whatever, talk ball, happy to do it. If anybody you know just happens to be out and wants to grab a beer, I'm always down to talk hoop. So hit me up. I'll be in the city. Um, I would love to actually meet people that have been listening and interacting with us on Twitter. And that's all I got, Adam. <laughs>
1: That's fine, man. I was on mute. I was talking and I was on mute. I was like, what was
0: uh,
1: For anybody listening, Greg's, um, Greg's name will be hyperlinked in the show description. So if you click on that, it'll take you it straight through to his Twitter account. DMs are open so you can hit him up and arrange some beers. Please, please, please tag me in photos of the beers because I will not be in Boston and I would like to see these beers. Uh, when I'm out there, we'll do the same thing as well. Everybody, thanks for listening. As usual, please leave that five star written review. If you are unable to do so because you're listening on an Android phone or you're on Spotify or whatever the reason may be, word of mouth always helps us out a bunch. And you can, if you have any issues with the show, then you know my DMs are open, my Twitter feed, I'm quite responsive, Greg's responsive, and uh, we'll do our best to accommodate any changes or additions to the show that you would like, as long as they're within reason. You can't be asking me to bring on, like I don't know, like Michael Jordan for an episode because that's just not going to happen. Um, I wish it would, but it's just it's I'm not that lucky. Um go ahead, thank you everybody for listening. We'll catch you again on Wednesday.